Hello, everybody. David Donaldson here with an episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. I'm here with my Bucky's fan favorite friend, Joe Martin, today. If you know, you know, man. I, you, I, I, don't, you know. I don't need to say anything more. If you don't know what Bucky's is, if you, you haven't know, you you lived know. on a rock. You know, the funny thing is my son actually has like a full-length Bucky onesie. They went on a trip to Tennessee to visit out University of Tennessee for college. Full onesie he came back with. So I'll tell you about this hat. So I went down there with one of my business partners, went down to uh, – Charleston, South Carolina, for a business trip, and I've been to Bucky's, and it's I love it. I mean, between their their beef jerky to the the roasted nuts that they've got there, and all the like little grab bags and gadgets, and even their like homes, you know, home goods area that they've got is right. just great, right? Well, I kid you not, I have never seen a Bucky's this packed. Like it was like I grew up in South Florida, and there was like a Walmart on a Saturday night. Let's just put it that way. They had, and also those of you who've been that are from the Carolinas, you know what a Carolina squat is on your truck. It's basically where you lift it in the front and lower it in the back, and it looks like this. Um, yeah, it's really the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Would you ever do to a truck? Right. But um, the point was is that this thing was jam packed. I went into Bucky's with a with my business partner, and I've never had wall to wall people inside of a gas station before. To the point that it was like Black Friday in Target. Let me just put it this way: I wasn't getting in the way of anybody who was looking at that beef jerky station. It's really nuts. I know we're talking about really kind of going sideways before we even started, but it's really nuts what a new type of marketplace can do. I remember when I was in college, and a twenty four hour Walmart opened up. No. This was 1993. So this came to Indiana, Pennsylvania. And we thought it'd be cool to go to Walmart at like one in the morning. Now, well, you know, there was other things, but right. I'm not, I'm not going to say that we were, we're not uh, in the proper state of mind, but it, it was one o'clock in the morning and Walmart opened up a day. It was packed. Yep. yep. Just packed at one o'clock in the morning. Now it was half 30 years ago now, but same type of experience. You put one of those. You move one of those closer to Northern Virginia. Heck, we've got one coming to Virginia. I know, just west of Richmond. When I lived in uh, Arizona, they opened up an In-N-Out Burger. And again, if you want to find the topic of if you know, you know, right? They put an In-N-Out Burger in Scottsdale, Arizona. Fast food, right? Fast food. Forty-five minute wait. They had to have cops work in the parking lot through the drive-through, like just so people could walk up and go double, double animalized, please. And that was really your only options was like single, double, or animalize this thing. <laughs> but that's the culture. That that that's a culture mindset. That's something unique when you bring it to an area when we're in a transient society. Yeah. That people grasped for something, a, a piece nostalgic and a piece of home. Now, I mean, if you've never been to a Bucky's, I highly recommend it. And I'm not being paid to say that. Um, they're, they're not paid to do anything, right? We do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Um, so now that we've gone down that yes. rabbit that rabbit hole of Bucky's, if you know, you know, uh, it's future site going to be just west of Richmond. So it's never been there. You could try it out. Um, and that'll be a road trip for people. From Northern. They're like, we, we got to go. Yeah, 100%. We got to go. All right, so let's try this again. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. <laughs> we're, well, we, you know, it's not a bad idea that we have to work on some sponsorships. Maybe we can kind of, you know, mention this a couple of times, get Bucky's to notice that we're talking about. Yeah, we could have like a, a, a full-on brawl. We could have Sheets, Wawa, and Bucky's all in here and see what goes on with it. Well, Bucky's is like Wawa on steroids. And there really is no, to me personally, being from Philadelphia. I'm no sorry to hear that. Between Sheets and Wawa. It's Wawa here. All right, before we go down another one of our twisted rabbit holes about convenience store yes. shopping, um, what do we got today, Dave? All right, so today we're going to talk about six personal perspectives. And I know this is a topic that's close to your heart and you love to talk about this, but 
this makes a whole heck of a lot of sense when we talk about people, where they are in their businesses and how they're going to get there. What do they need to do to be successful? And for those of you, if you haven't heard of the six personal perspectives as a topic of conversation here, let me just kind of write down what they are for you real quick and we'll, and we'll take a little bit of a look. So step one is commit to self-mastery, right? Step two is you're going to commit to the 80-20 principle, which, we, you know, if you've heard of a fine Italian economist named Paredes, you know what we're talking about there. Yep. You're going to move from E to P. So we're saying entrepreneurial to purposeful. Make yourself learning-based or make learning-based the foundation of your action plan. Remove your limiting beliefs and ultimately, at the end, be accountable to yourself. So that's, that's the six personal perspectives. So at the top of that, you got to commit to self-mastery, right? When we're talking about committing to self-mastery, right? Basically, we're saying, hey, do this so you can't get it wrong. Yeah, I think what's cool um, or interesting about this topic, when we, you know, call it six personal perspectives, but each one of these six items is something that you as an individual have to be committed to. And it's usually a journey of self-discovery and it's areas within your life that you can actually impact through focus, education, training, and purposefulness. And my favorite is actually self-mastery because – before you can lead anybody, before you can get to the higher echelons of performance, you really have to know how you are wired. And that real commit to self-mastery is saying, who do I need to become? How am I naturally wired? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And what's fascinating about the strengths and weaknesses, I hear a ton of people talk about, well, I got to spend all this time fixing my weaknesses because if I fix my weaknesses, then I'll be 360 degree perfect. Or I don't really care about my weaknesses because, like, I'm just going to lean into my strengths and go find somebody else to deal with the weaknesses. Here's the real – what my belief is on the strengths and weaknesses is that if the weakness isn't going to impact your business, then don't even spend any time on it. But if that weakness is something that's going to be a grade A, like, challenge in your business that you need to know how to do as a leader, then you need to spend time on it. But here's the catch fault. Most leaders run into issues with self-mastery around strengths overused. When you're running a team, you have to be able to control your natural tendencies because leadership is not like a – it's not a given like thing that you wake up and say, I'm a leader. It's, a, it's an education. It's a skill set that you actually learn over time. And if you know how you're going to react to a certain situation or what your values are, what your beliefs are, what your triggers are, what like are your hot buttons, what are your cool buttons, and how you can actually feel that first like reaction to something – it's how you control it. And if you really understand how you react to things, how you handle people, how you go into crowds, how you are a public speaker, how you deal with financials, like if you really look at yourself and say, let me pull myself out into like a third party existential experience, who is Joe? What am I wired? What do people see on the outside? What am I feeling internally? And if you can really understand who you are at a deep level, your self-awareness comes out as a really masterful as a leader and also as a business person because now you're in complete control of who you are. And once you're in control of yourself, then you've actually earned the right to be able to lead others because now you can understand how other people are wired and how to best manage, how to best lead, how to best motivate, how to best handle challenges, how to coach, how to consult. So if you don't know that about yourself, how in the world are you going to go out and do it for somebody else? I, I think you hit – for me, we, we talk about mastery and, and I, I – talk about internalization right making it your own and doing it without think about it and you know if you've read the book atomic habits you can think about habit forming right that's mastery right or if you think about people 
talk about script practice and dialogue practice. At the end of the day, that's that's your starting point. Your mastery comes to that internalization when that script or that practice or that message that you're trying to deliver becomes yours, mm -hmm. right? And that it doesn't, you're no longer scripted. It's authentic. It's authentic, and that's the mastery component of that. And obviously that applies on every lever and all sides of your business, right? From how you're running to how you lead your inning, how you're communicating, talking to people, or heck, even what are you doing with your day-to-day -day calendar, mm -hmm. right? Every little thing has a component of mastery. Right, there is no master of business, although you can pay for that. Right, it's it's mastering all the little things or all the habits that make up what you have to do to do in your day to day life. The key to right yeah. at the I mean, the, and that one is just understanding it's self mastery, right? That like correct, you got to understand yourself, and there's like a higher level of awareness that comes into that. And if you can unlock that awareness, your ability to lead becomes un almost unstoppable. And when you look at that mastery, and as we kind of head off into, uh, you know, step two, and we talk about the 80-20 principle, which is something I always trip over backwards because to me it should be 20-80, right? But it's the 80-20 principle, which basically if you look back, the original principle was that, you know, 20%, 80% of the land was owned by 20% of the people, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of how this kind of came to be, and it was reaffirmed in, in the 60s. And we talk about where you're spending mastery. You want to spend it in your 20%. Spend mastery on the functionality of the things that are gonna move the needle and develop your business and run your day-to-day -day life, right? Mm -hmm. There's this cool little, if you guys are at home, you can all, there's probably 25 different versions of this YouTube video of filling up the container, but you kind of get the concept of spend the time where it's most important. It's just that simple, whether it's the top three things for your business, but spend the time that's the most important. And the thing about that is I think too many times people don't know what the most important thing is. Like just so just literally just saying, hey, spend time and live in your 20%. Can you even define what your 20% is? Uh, it takes people actually to self-reflect and actually think deeper about what actually matters in their life. And you get into that type of cerebral conversation with people and it gets real funky and awkward. Um, but you have to, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think the piece, um, I'm a big proponent of what's your goal like what's your end goal, right? And I think when you look at like the 80-20 principle, uh, you talk about, you know, 20% of your input gets 80% of your results. There, The other aspect you can see in, inside of real estate is when you look at like production, 20% um, of your agents will do 80% of your production. So what you're really saying is that there's a handful of people that do the mass amount. You could even get so far into real estate brokerages and say that 10% of your agents actually do 90% of the production inside oh, the office. 80-20 of the 20. Yeah, and I think what the cool part about the 80-20 principle, because if you look at statistics, it proves it in pretty much every field, is that there's a handful that have the biggest impact. And your levers, I go back to 80-20 principle with people that you've got five types of people in your organization. You've got multipliers, you've got adders, you've got neutrality, you've got minusers, and then you've got dividers. And I think the 80-20 principle rolls out in people like that that you actually see that. Your top, there's a handful of people that have the biggest impact. And as running your life or in your business, you got to figure out like which levers are the most important. And one of the things I just got to be completely okay in my decision tree just not doing because you can either do it, you can delegate it, you can dump it, <laughs> or you can delay it. And I think that's the piece within the 80-20 is like, what do I got to do and what do I got to delegate? 
and the other stuff, just forget it because it's going to be messy and someone's going to judge you on it. I think that's where our perfection gets in our way is that we know that I'm, I'm going to be good with 80% of the results because if I try to get that other finish line, the other 20%, I might be spending time that's actually fruitless where I could have spent time somewhere else that would have had 80% impact. This goes back to those of you that have Teslas. Like, it's the last 10 to 20% of charging your battery that takes the most amount of juice to do, right? So I don't know. I've been trying to really think through the 80-20 principle around, like, do I really care about that other 20% that doesn't get done because it's 80% enough to have the impact because nothing's ever going to be perfect? Well, there's an interesting dynamic to that. And we've talked about this on different episodes. Uh, I think, I guess if we go back to like deep work or even fix this now and, and you say, you know, where are you spending your time? And there, I think there's, there's that self-satisfaction of the busy being busy of getting things accomplished. It feels awesome. I had a great, I had a busy day. I felt energized. I crossed everything off my list. The question is, did any of the things that you did on that particular day matter? Make you feel good. <laughs> well, there, there's some importance to that, right? The, 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 the busy work does need to get done, doesn't need to get done by you. And that's what you're saying here. I mean, we're talking about the 20%. Is that moving the needle? Is that building your business? And is it best served being done by you or is it best serve being leveraged out because time is money to somebody else when the time is right because you can't jump right into that not everybody can right yeah no no, i think the 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 transitioning into entrepreneurial to purposeful is actually a good one from talking about like do you need to do it or somebody else do it i think e to p like an acronym wise entrepreneurial to purposeful basically means you just naturally do something great. Like you just kind of have an idea in your head and you, f- you know, go out and just go do it. And then someone looks at you and go, hey, Dave, how'd you do that? And you're like, yeah, I have no idea. I just kind of figured it out on the fly, right? And then the purposeful side is really having a structure that says this is how it can be re- replicatable. This is how I can actually delegate it. This is how I can leverage it off to somebody else. And they have a idea of what the best practice is, one, for efficiency, but you're also looking for consistency of product delivery. You know, I, I look at that and I hear E2P or entrepreneurial and purposeful. I think a lot of times people think entrepreneurial is being purposeful, right? They don't look at it as the component. That's why you say messy. <laughs> yeah, right? They say, well, I'm, I'm going to start a business, so therefore, darn it, I'm entrepreneurial. It sounds better than I'm bootstrapping it. True. <laughs> but, I mean, I'll be honest, and, and – for a long time until I really kind of embraced and understood the terminology that we talk about here in our organization is that I always thought of myself, I've, I've started a couple of companies, I've I invested in real estate, I have owned a couple of uh, rental properties, so therefore, I'm entrepreneurial. Or, or my favorite is, I'm a serial entrepreneur. What does that really mean? Right, you started a company, great, you invested money in something, great. But what are you doing to be deliberate about growing that that actually going to change something? I had one of my mentors, it still sits with me to this day about going from entrepreneurial to purposeful, but I also it also had a profound impact with me about how I train people. Okay. And um, because if you think about E to P, the biggest issue, issue with entrepreneur is that they say, I'm great at sales. And then, then you say, well, you need more time, so you need to leverage that. And then they go, well, no one could ever sell as best as I could. And I'd be like, yeah, unfortunately, you're lying to yourself because there's about a million sales that happened last year, and you did 50 of them. So let's get you off your soapbox. Um, right. But here's what I think about when you're talking about leverage and training and 
all those things that can sometimes be difficult is I had a mentor of mine once. I've got a gift for numbers. I, I It's really weird and a lot of people can't track with it and it turns into like a weird Einstein person. But I can look at projections and budgets and numbers and intuitively be able to put something together around a business projection pretty quickly, right? And pretty accurately. And um, I, I've always saw it as a gift. I always enjoyed it. But what happened is, is I would start doing that in front of others in like a group setting when I should be teaching. And what happened is I'd rip through the numbers so quick that like there was no chance for them to understand, to be learned, to be taught. And they were embarrassed that they didn't pick up on the numbers as fast as I did. So they refused to like give any – like say anything. So I was going through projections once. I think it was mid-year with, with my boss and mentor and he was like – I started going through my normal like wizardry tricks on numbers and he goes, pump the brakes, slow down, go back to step one. What was the first thing that thought in your head? And then I go, okay. And he goes, what's the next? And what's the next? And what report did you go to next? And what trend did you go to next? And then what bank account did you go to? And then, so he slowed me down enough to recognize that entrepreneurially I had like a synapse system in my head that just came naturally to me based on some experiences I had. And I was able to put that together in a sequential order and got a result. Well, for that to be in Joe's head is not actually purposeful because now Joe is the linchpin for that ever to happen. So that E to P concept was, when he did that to me, he basically showed me Joe's not gifted. He might have had some, like, help along the way, but he had the thought process, and all Joe has to do is actually take it out of his head, write it down, and be able to teach somebody. And anybody else, whether their numbers or not, can actually be purposeful in the projection budgeting process. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that that kind of takes us next one. But like you were saying, the entrepreneurial base is is your you know a natural level, expected level that you can achieve to without a whole lot of effort. But being purposeful to develop that can impact others, right? And then you know that kind of rolls right in for step four is like you know you're willing to be taught, you're willing to learn. Therefore, others can learn for you because you're learning based. Mm-hmm. You know, so through that example, you're basically saying, hey, somebody was able to get you to reflect on what your skill sets are, right? And then you could turn around and apply that to your business so others can learn from you too. So not only are you learning based to understand how do you, can you be better and develop your skill set, therefore others can get better because of what you know, yeah. right? But now they're learning too. So a learning-based process as we cascade through this, right, takes time. Yeah, when I, when I think about the idea of learning-based, there's two things that come to mind is one, be inquisitive, and then number two, be on a quest for learning. So I guess I could still be inquisitive, but I look at it differently. It's like, how do you have a natural curiosity to the world around you? And then number two, how are you purposeful around educating yourself? So I think that's how you separate when I think about being learning-based is that when I come into a situation that I don't know, it can be fearful, it can be kind of, you know, raw. It could be like, I'm walking in, I'm the dumbest person in the room, like this is going to be awkward for me. So ego gets in the way. But you can naturally be inquisitive about, hey, that's something that this person's really good at. Or that's something I think would make me a better person. I'm naturally inquisitive about how did we get there? How did that come to be? (coughs) And learning based is question based. Yeah. And then the second part around the training being purposeful around your training and education is like, goes back to, to number one, being commit to self-mastery like most often than not high performers know where they have gaps and any high performer that says that they're perfect is lying to you 
and they just don't want to admit the areas that they've got gaps in. But most people know where their gaps are because they've been told it or they know that they've got some anxiety around it. So why not be purposeful around those gaps and say, I know that uh, use public speaking. If you're a terrible public speaker that and you want to go far in life, you're going to eventually have to be a public speaker. So go figure it out. Like, stop, like, like, I don't know how better to say that to you. Like, that's not a, you can't say, oh, that's a weakness. And I'll go find somebody else. No, like, you're going to have to do it. So, like, go get the training. Go get that. The other part about training is that education, growth, um, who you become, your formation as a personal and professional growth is all a journey. So when you take, I don't know, an HR class 10 years ago and you go, yeah, I already took that HR class, you were a different person 10 years ago. The challenges you had 10 years ago are not the challenges you have today. So if you take that HR class or you take a public speaking class or you take a financial class or you take a leadership class or a management class, whatever the thing is that you need to be better at, even if it's the class you've taken four or five times, every time you've got different experiences, different skill sets, different journey. And you're going to hear something different in that class just because you've put yourself in an environment to actually want to learn. Well, it, it's really kind of crazy when you allow yourself to go down that path to want, like, I think about it, it, it we'll, we'll, we'll kind of jump into limiting beliefs here a little bit. And I think about, like, this whole thing is, like, for me, entrepreneurial was that I was the go-to guy locally that I could understand, like you said, finances. But for me, it was how to run your business through a technological model, right? Mm -hmm. That's some of the things that I've been able to embrace and talk to people that way. So I kind of had that gift where I could present it that was digestible and made sense. I was not going to go there, but okay. You did that. Yes. Yes. I think I do. I have, I have you a know, natural you know. innate level of conversation that I can take something that I understand and present it to somebody that makes sense. Like I think I've, I've been fortunate now, however, I was entrepreneurial in that capacity that I always stayed in my comfort zone. I understood real estate, I understand business, I understood systems, models, and tools, and I understood how to push the buttons inside of a technological tool like command and run your business. And I stayed there, right? But if you look at this and the conversation we're having today, like, you know, just last month, for the first time, I actually taught this class, Six Personal Perspectives, mm -hmm. right? It was not something I'd ever done before. And I said to myself, I said, I'm looked at it a certain way, and I have to understand this, that I can be more to more people. And I have to bring value. In order to do that, I've got to teach something different. Yep. So I got purposeful. And I got rid of it. We're just bundling it all up right here. I embraced my limiting belief that I couldn't. I don't think of it. For me, it wasn't that I couldn't. It's that I felt that I wouldn't be perceived as somebody to talk about a topic other than technology or other about business through technology. But teaching this class, and I had some people in the audience and the guy actually kind of grabbed me afterwards and he said, he says, Dave, I, and I was asking for a house in the class. He said, here's what I wrote down. Tell Steve to have you do more of this. <laughs> and I, no, it was pretty awesome. Like, I'm like, here I am so worried about how am I going to be received presenting something outside of my comfort zone? And somebody's saying, this was great. Yeah. Do more of this. Do more of the thing that we don't expect to come from you. Right? So I was able to overcome my own personal limiting belief. That, that was that was a cool experience. Yeah, I think the cool, uh, for those of you fear public speaking or anything like those topics, what I have found is if you become really passionate about the topic that you're teaching, your fear 
of how you're presenting and whatnot goes away because you're so passionate about the impact that you can have on people. So little did you know, go find a passionate topic that you want to talk about for public speaking and yes. all that fear goes away because you actually feel obligated to make sure you pass on that gift to people because of how much of an impact it's had in your life. Anyway. No, I, yeah, you're right about that. Um, and then you never know where that's going to lead to, right? And then get outside of your comfort zone, right? Get weird with it. Joe likes to get weird. I mean, you're wearing a Bucky's hat for crying out loud. Hey, I just, you know, just dropping on those people actually, you know, following on YouTube. But, um, and you know, lastly, you got to be accountable, right? So if we run down and say submit to self mastery and you commit to the 80 20 person, you're going to move from E to P and you're going to be learning based and, and then you're going to get over yourself and get over your limiting beliefs. But you got to be accountable to those things in order to do those things. I think when you look at, limiting beliefs is that and accountability i think these are you know of all of all the things that you can like impact and change in your life these two can kind of have like a negative connotation to them because you hear like limiting so when you hear limiting it's like retraction and then you hear accountable it's like oh it's a funky word and every time i said someone held me accountable i got written up right um so i think like the limiting beliefs is that you know, there's this profound quote that I've heard, I've heard multiple times, but the past month I heard it was like, stop fighting for your limitations. Stop. stop so stop arguing for them. Stop justifying them. Whatever word, like, yeah, you know, no, no. you want to use with it is that because if you start arguing for your limitations, you're going to fall right at those limitations. Like if you say, wow, I can't ever slam dunk. Okay, well, then your prophecy is going to come true because you're never going to slam dunk. Now, I'm 5'10", and actually there was a point in time when I was like 40 pounds lighter and working out nonstop. I, I couldn't dunk, but I could grab rim and hang on to it, right? So like – Well, well, well. I'm being dead serious. You could grab rim. Yes. I got mad ups. I ran a 465 in 40-yard in dash. Speed is one thing, and I understand leg strength. That's some hops. Um. But anyway, so I, I say this because, like, if you are going to argue that, oh, I'll never close that person, I'll never get that deal, or I'll never get to this promotion, whatever, then fine. You're just going to – your manifestation is going to come true, and then you're going to be 100% right all the time. You know, uh, and I'll bring this into your wheelhouse for you as we wrap this up because I think I think there's a perfect thing when you think about golf to something like this, right? You always say don't leave a putt short, right? Aim past, hit through the hole hmm? because if you aim for the hole – chances are you're going to fall short. Yeah. You're going to you're going to leave it short. Right? So when you talk about being accountable or setting expectations for yourself, don't set what you think you can do. Set them higher than that because then oh by the way, you may have passed that in the rearview mirror. Mhm. I don't I think on and it's weird, right? So you think about accountable and like goal setting. Mm -hmm. There's certain people that want to hit the goal because that makes them feel good. And if they don't hit the goal, they don't feel good. Then there's other people that know that they they never want to have a goal that they ever achieve because they realize that by setting a goal that's always unattainable, they they excel past what the standard could have been, right? Had they had they said what was attainable. So you got to figure out what the mental side on it. The accountability piece that I like a lot is that you are always going to be your own worst boss. You are never going to hold yourself to the same level of accountability that you would hold somebody else because you've got blinders. You've got your ego, your baggage, your stories you tell each, you know, yourself. But when you can go on the outside and be a third party and see what somebody's greatness is and see that they have these two or three things that are getting in their way, but if they really had somebody you know, pushing on them that cared, 
the cool thing about accountability is when you've got the person that's holding you accountable that you know where they come from is and they care about you and they're positive and they want you to achieve the things and no other thing else because you became a better version of yourself, you actually feel obligated to do it because you don't want to let that person down because they gave you an opportunity or they care about you so much that like more often than not, we're willing to do way more things for other people because of our commitments to them than we are for ourselves. And I think that's actually the true power inside of accountability is that we don't want to let somebody else down. We'll let ourselves down before we let somebody else. And I think that's where the true power of accountability comes from combined with eliminating your limiting beliefs because now you've got pressure and pressure creates opportunities and those opportunities create more pressure. So like when you think about limiting beliefs and accountability, pressure is always going to need to be there to perform at your highest level. And I think that's why accountability is so impactful and people should actually think it as more of like embrace it than to fear it. All right. Well, good topic today, Joe. And I know, and I know this is you know this course and this converse, these conversations are passion of yours. Uh, for the, all of you guys listening uh, at home uh, that are interested, you know, check in with a local KW Market Center. These are courses that are taught fairly regularly, if not should be. If they're not, talk to your leadership team about getting them on the schedule or contact us to see when, uh, see when we're presenting it out into the region. But everybody, thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you on the next episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. Mm-hmm.